How you doing, Heritage? Hey, it is great to be with you this morning. My name is Brandon. I am the Worship and Creative Arts Pastor here. I just want to take a moment to say welcome to those of you in Rock Island, those of you at Bettendorf, and my brothers and at the Kiwanee Life Skills Reentry Center, and any of those who are joining us online, just want to say thank you for joining us and worshiping with us today. Well, I'm excited about what the Lord has for us today, and I, I believe you're going to be glad about it as well. As you know, we are nearing the end of the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. And for many of us, Thursday looked very similar, right? We, uh, we gathered around a table with family and friends and loved ones, and it looked maybe a little bit like this. The full spread and maybe some candles and lots of food, the turkey and the stuffing and the gravy and the pies. Oh, the pies. Am I right? The pies? Right. So that look, that's what it looked like. And it's a beautiful thing that we gather together on these moments to pause from our hectic lives and just be thankful for a moment, to just say thank you, to just be grateful for all the things in our lives. And here's a picture of what our family looked like. As, as maybe many of you know, our family is out of state, and so we invited some friends and neighbors. And, and this year, my wife Jennifer was really intentional about praying through who we were supposed to invite. We didn't have a specific plan. All we knew is we were supposed to pray and invite the people that the Lord showed us. And so we, invite, we did that. And we have some neighbors here. We have some friends of our sons from school and their family and, and then our family. And as Jen and I looked at this and stepped back the, the night after and just looked at the picture, we hadn't, like I said, we hadn't planned this, but we got a picture of what God's grace looks like. We got a picture of what maybe his plan for our lives should look like. You see, what we didn't know when we were making those invites was that, or we didn't consciously think about when we made those invites, was that our neighbor is uh, adopted. And our, our son's friend from school is also adopted. And then our youngest son, Jackson, is also adopted. And on, on the 23rd of November, we celebrated seven years since the finalization of Jackson's adoption, him becoming a forever member of our family. And as I recall, seven years ago, I was preaching that weekend. Was, yeah, that's a beautiful thing. I remember preaching that weekend and, and recounting the story of, of his adoption and his becoming a, a permanent member of our family. And I met that song from Stevie Wonder was stuck in my head, and it's still stuck in my head today. It's like, signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours, I'm yours. That, and he's ours. He's, he's part of us now in a way that he wasn't before, and we're so grateful for that. Another part about this that, that you may not look at or may not recognize when you look at is that this is a picture of God's plan for our lives. The scripture says that we're to care for the widows and the orphans. That's what true religion looks like, is when we take care of those who are on the margins, those who can't care for themselves in the same way. And there are widows and single moms and children who would have been orphans had it not been for the grace of God intersecting in their lives in this picture. And I'm so grateful for that. I am so grateful that it's a picture of who God is. In Psalm 68, it says that God is a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of the widows. He sets the lonely in families. He sets prisoners free and brings them joy. It's just who he is. And we have so much to be thankful for. Even if it's just the simple truth that God loves us and pursues us relentlessly. And that truth that God relentlessly pursues us with his love and his peace is what allows us to live into his peace, which is, which is flourishing. 
many times when we hear that word peace, we think of maybe calm or maybe we think of the absence of conflict. And that's, that's part of it. That's true. But that's only one part of the definition. Peace, Jesus said, peace I give you. The peace I give you is different than the peace that the world gives you. It's flourishing. It's well-being. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And the traditional greeting of peace or shalom or mashlamcha is peace be upon you, or how is it with your peace? How is it with your well-being? How is it with the fullness of your life, your sense of flourishing? And so the question is this, where are peace and thanksgiving at work in our lives? And the truth is we spend, we spend a whole day being grateful, right? A whole day being thankful, but then there are 364 other days. So I guess my question is this, if we have this iconic national holiday where all of us are taking time out of our lives to push pause and say thank you, and we get nearly 100% participation, I don't know a single person who doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving. Like I know a lot of people that can argue about when Christmas should be or whether we should celebrate Easter or whether we should celebrate Columbus Day. There's lots of holidays about which people argue in America, but I don't know anybody that argues about Thanksgiving like, no, I'm not going to be thankful. Nope, that's not me. I don't know anybody. I literally have never met someone who doesn't celebrate it. In fact, we make such a big deal out of it that for those who are on the margins of our society, we, we go out of our way to make sure that they have opportunity as well. I'm so proud to be part of a church like Heritage where we partnered with, on, on Tuesday, we partnered with the Moline Police Department and did a Thanksgiving meal for over 230 people at the Esperanza Center. People who, yeah, that's, that's worth a hand. That's expressing the thankfulness and the peace of God in a way for people that maybe their families are far from home or they're, they're in, a, in a financial state where they're not able to provide a big meal or something along those lines. But we're able to partner with other organizations and help people in those moments. And, I, and we all participate in this. And we make a big deal out of Thanksgiving. And, and we should. But again, the question remains, if we did all that, if we all participated, if we did the turkeys and the thank yous and the cranberry sauce, even though I don't understand that, What's, what's the lasting effect? What's the part that sticks? Because while we all did that, many of us on the very next day did this. Take a look. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling Crazy, right? Thanksgiving is supposed to be a time of gratefulness and marked by peace. In fact, it's a reminder to us to be people of peace, people who are expressing and sharing God's flourishing in our lives. I could be wrong, but I don't think those crowds are living quite that way. <laughs> I don't see a lot of sharing going on there. And I don't know about you, but I'm all about the online shopping from now on. After I see that, and after I experience the beauty of sitting in my pajamas in bed with my wife and doing our Christmas shopping that way, I'm sold. It's the way it's going to happen from now on. But I get it. I see how it happens, right? We, in the pursuit of something important, it's important. It's a beautiful thing that we take the time and the energy and the resources to go and provide gifts for those who we love. It's an expression and a reminder of the goodness and gift that God gave us through his son. But sometimes in the pursuit of something important like that, we, 
we place our value in the wrong things of getting there first and getting the best deal. And like, there's nothing wrong intrinsically with getting a good deal. I don't mean to, dec- to decry that. I just think that sometimes we lose the value of what's really important in those moments. And that behavior that we just saw, it's the fruit. It, well, it's not the fruit of being authentically thankful. I can tell you that. <laughs> Maybe it's the fruit of cultural momentum or the fruit of anxiety or looking out for number one or consumerism, whatever. Maybe it's the fruit of empty tradition. And hear me, I'm not saying that Thanksgiving is empty tradition. We just talked about how beautiful and grateful we are for those moments. They're important. What I am saying is that when we take something beautiful and valuable and sacred and we treat it as a commodity instead of allowing it to have its full work in our hearts, then we shortchange everyone that's involved. The commoditization of spiritual truth and experience is what produces scenes like we just witnessed. A commodity, like like if we were to take Thanksgiving, for instance, and treat it as only a time to just eat good food together, as opposed to a time where we're setting time apart to be grateful, to be relationally present with one another. When we do that, we miss out on all that God has for us. And, And the truth is, it's the same with church, right? We can come in here, and if we only treat church as something to be consumed, if we treat church as a thing or a place instead of understanding that you and I, we are the church, the church isn't a place or a thing, it's a people. If we miss that and we treat it as a commodity, something we trade our time for, you know, get to sing some good songs, or I got an inspiring story out of the message, or maybe I gave some some money to an outreach, whatever, if, if that is where we leave it, if that's the extent to which we allow God's Spirit access to our lives and our hearts and our minds, then we can't expect the fruit of the Spirit to be active in our lives. Activities don't produce fruit. God's Spirit produces fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Fruit is not an activity. Fruit is a natural byproduct of being connected to the plant or a healthy tree. You get the fruit that you plant and that you water and that you prune and that you care for. You get the fruit of the Spirit by remaining connected to Holy Spirit. And being filled with Holy Spirit, spending time in His presence is what gives us the ability to walk through our lives in God's power. It's what allows us to come into the spiritual battle that is our lives with the right footing. It's what gives us the ability to walk in peace. Shalom, peace. Shalom, by the way, means to be safe in body, mind, or estate. It speaks of completeness, fullness, or a type of wholeness that encourages you to give back. I like that. A type of wholeness that encourages you to give back. To generously repay something in some way. Walking in this kind of peace is what allows us to respond to darkness with light to consumerism with thankfulness, to greed with generosity, to desperation with joy, to chaos with calm, confident consistency, in brokenness with healing, in insult with grace, and in anxiety with peace. But again, if we expect our spiritual problems to be solved by 60 to 75 minutes of spiritual activity each week, we're just fooling ourselves. In the same way, if we expect one holiday to transform our hearts into thankful, grateful, compassionate, generous hearts, we're, we're kidding ourselves. It just doesn't work that way. 
Our lives aren't meant to be shaped by events and moments. Events and moments are meant to punctuate the process of discipleship in our lives, which is learning to live into a fuller sense of his peace, a fuller sense of his shalom, a fuller sense of his well-being. That's why we spent six weeks as a church going through Explore Relationship and understanding how to, to learn and tell God's great story and to learn how to, to take our story within that context and tell that story, learning how to pray, learning how to, to study the scripture for ourselves so that we're not just relying on the ministry professionals to feed us all the time. It's because we believe this stuff is important. We believe that it's important to living and flourishing with fullness in life and realizing our purpose. This is how we spend our lives. And since we only have one life to spend, we ought to learn how to spend it wisely and well. It's why we take the time to do the things we do, because we believe that God is actually real and truly has a good plan for our lives and the lives of those with whom we work and live and relate to. That's what it means to live in thankfulness and in peace, to be grateful for what God has given us and live generously as bearers of peace and well-being. If you would turn with me or click with me to Colossians chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles, it's, uh, it's about a third of the way through the New Testament. It's just past Philippians. If you get to Thessalonians, you've gone too far. We're going to start in verse 15. It's going to be on the screen here as well. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. In this section, there are multiple instructions, right? Let peace rule, sing psalms, admonish and encourage one another, etc. But throughout all of them is woven a single thread that I believe is the key to all of it. Thankfulness. In this section, thankfulness is mentioned three times. And when you study the Bible, it's a good thing to know that anytime there's a big concept like thankfulness mentioned in the Bible, it's probably important. If it's mentioned twice in a specific section, you should pay even a little bit more attention. If it's mentioned three times, the author is intentionally being emphatic, trying to say, hey, I'm waving the flag here. Check this out. This is a really important concept I want you to understand. And in this section, thankfulness is mentioned three times emphatically. It's important for us to get this because it's the, it's the key. It's, the, it's what we need to have in order to have peace ruling in our hearts. You, if, you, if you want that, then you have to pave the way with gratitude. That's our first fill-in today. Gratitude paves the way to peace. Gratitude paves the way to peace. And if you want to walk the path of peace in your life, the cobblestones individually that are made of, that make that path up are little moments of gratitude and thankfulness. Thankfulness to God for all he gives is what allows us to live into his fullness, his shalom, his peace. But in order to live into all that he has, we have to give all that we are. We've got to remember that Jesus wants all of us, and he is that good and that gracious that he keeps on pursuing us. He keeps on chasing after us. And I'm grateful that he hasn't ever stopped pursuing me. I'm grateful that he continues to pursue me and in the middle of all my personal messiness that he continues to chase after me, to shepherd my heart and to discipline me and call me to more. He wants all of us, all of our preconceived ideas, all of our prejudice, all of our opinions, all of our hurts, all of our hopes. 
He wants it all because in giving it all to him, we can have all of him living in and through us. When we give all of our lives to him, we get all of him living in and through us. I think that's a pretty good deal. I want us to give, I want to give you an idea of what I think that looks like to have thankfulness and peace operating well in our lives. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And we don't have to know the Bible to really know that what the Good Samaritan is. We all have a pretty good concept of a Good Samaritan is someone who's kind and takes, takes, takes compassion on others and does the right thing. We all kind of get that. But the context of this story is actually really important. So in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is having a dialogue with some of the other teachers of the law in the temple. And one of the teachers says to him, teacher, what in your estimation is the greatest commandment? And he says, well, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. He references the Shema. And the Shema, as we've, as we've learned before, is is what worship should look like. Worship is remembering. Worship is reminding ourselves of God's goodness in all aspects, all components of our life. And that's what Jesus says is the first and greatest commandment. And he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the teacher says to him, is okay, Jesus, you've, you've answered well. And I gotta tell you, if I'm Jesus in that moment, I'm probably a little snarkier than he was. Like, oh, really, you, you think I did a good job answering a question about the book that I wrote. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> he didn't say that. What he did say was he, he said, okay, you've answered well. Who then, is, who then is my neighbor? And the answer that Jesus gives, I'm not sure that the teacher was ready to hear. So he tells the story of the, of the Samaritan. It says that a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And that road was a dangerous place. It's a place, the kind of place that you didn't want to be alone in after dark. And unfortunately, this man was beaten and robbed. He was stripped naked, taken everything that he had, and was left bleeding and dying on the side of the road. And it says that in, by chance, a Levite came by and saw him. And not only did he just ignore him, he, he actually walked all the way over to the other side of the road to, to be able to avoid him. And it says that a priest also came by by the way, the priest and the Levite are essentially, for us, the paid ministry staff of a church. Here are these guys that know the Bible, that know God's Word in a way that probably none of us ever will. They would have had large sections and chapters of the Scripture completely memorized. And for these guys to know the Scripture that well, to know the Word of God that well, and then to intentionally ignore the plight of another human being I don't know about you, that messes with me. That, that bothers me when I see someone that should know better ignoring people who are obviously in need of help. But then it says that a, that a Samaritan came along. In one translation, it says a despised Samaritan came along. The Samaritans were, how shall I say, um, they were despised. They were, uh, they were racially profiled. They were treated as less than. They were marginalized. They were called ugly things like half-breeds. They were treated as though they weren't actually really human. They weren't part of the Jewish nation at all. They were the lowest of the low in the Hebrew order of society. But this guy comes along, and he immediately goes to him. It says that he took pity. He, he had compassion for the man. 
And he went over and he helped him and he healed his wounds or, and bandaged him up and put him on his donkey and took him to an inn and paid for his stay. And then he, after, after he stayed the night, he had to go on a trip and he said, I'll be back when I come back, if you've incurred any other expenses, I'll make sure I pay for all of that. You see, the Samaritan doesn't contemplate. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't question. He immediately reacts out of the already fully formed compassion in his heart. That word, having compassion in the Greek, is the word splengthnon. It's the same word that occurs every time Jesus is about to heal someone. It says that he, had, he took compassion on them. And, and it means that out of the depth of his soul, out of the depth of his character, something shifted out of his fully formed compassion, out of the depth of his already existing character, whereas the priest and the Levite walked by, this man took compassion, took mercy, took love, and understood justice. This is what it looks like to live thankfully and full of peace, full of God's shalom, flourishing, well-being, peace. And so Jesus then asks the teacher, he says, okay, well, so out of the story, who do you think? acted most like a neighbor. And you can tell from the context that this was a really hard answer for the teacher. He couldn't even, he couldn't even say the name. He said, well, you know, it's that, that one, that, that guy that was, had mercy. He couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan because of, because of the cultural problems in his heart. You see, racism and elitism they're not just hard on the objects of derision, but they're also a trap, and they enslave those who fall, fall victim to believing their lies. They trap people into believing lies, and lies are always limiting. Lies limit our thinking, our options, and our outcomes. Lies trap us into not just believing them, but they also block us in out of fear for being exposed. Lies are insidious to the liar and those who are lied to. And the lie of devaluing others based on perceived differences is damaging both to the person who believes it and to the, and to the people that they look down on. That's why Jesus tells us the importance of knowing him. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and knowing him, knowing the truth will set you free. Knowing Jesus is freeing intrinsically. He pulls the scales from our eyes as he did with Paul. And he allows us to see people for who he created them to be. But he also shows us the freedom of forgiveness. The ability to consciously walk away from lies and live in truth. See, the story isn't just about the Levite and the priest. The story is really about God's love expressed through the unlikely Samaritan, and it's about exposing prejudice. We often like to, when we hear these stories, to sort of take the place in our minds of the hero, right? We like to think of ourselves as the Samaritan. We like to identify ourselves as the, as the type of people that would, would do the right thing in the right moment at the right time. But th for some of us this weekend, we may be starting instead from a place of brokenness, and the holidays just remind us of that brokenness. I want you to know two things. One, God sees you and he loves you. He knows. And two, I want to encourage you to be willing to receive help from someone else. It's one thing to offer help, which we should. It's another thing to be willing to receive help, especially from those we deem to be beneath or different or other than ourselves. But Thanksgiving is a communal time, and this is what community does. Community serves one another. 
Last week we talked about the idea that Jesus said that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And if you missed that, you can check that out online at heritageqc.com. But I want to encourage you to be willing to receive the healing, redemptive actions of others, whether you understand them or not, including God. But I wonder, again, if that young teacher, if he was deeming that Samaritan as beneath him. I think he was. And that word deem means to, to form an opinion or to judge or to think of. You see, we deem, we make opinions, we, make, we form judgments and opinions, we deem, but God redeems. We deem, but God redeems. We make a judgment, but God redeems it. He rejudges. In fact, he takes judgment away. And in this season, often marked by selfishness and greed, let's be the agents of redemption that Jesus calls us to be. Let's be those who bring the gift of redemption, the gift of reevaluating, the, the gift of reestimating the value and worth of others as fellow bearers of God's image. Let's be those who see others through the eyes of thankfulness through the eyes of those who have been redeemed. Jesus said that he who has been forgiven much loves much. Let's be people who remember what God has done for us. Remember, worship is remembering and reminding ourselves of God's goodness. Just like we deem and God redeems, we also need to remind ourselves by the washing of his word. As we jump back to Colossians chapter 3, we read verses 15 through 17, but I want us to, to jump back to verse 11 for just a moment and, and the following, just so I can give you just a little bit more context of what was going on there. So it says here in, in verse 11, it says here, and he's talking about this new space of, of walking with Jesus. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. The message says it this way, words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized, uncouth, slave or free, or perhaps for us, rich or poor, Republican or Democrat, documented or undocumented, male or female, black or white. In this context, those terms mean nothing. From now on, everyone is in Christ, is defined by Christ, and everyone is included in Christ. You see, when we live in thankfulness, authentic gratitude and the fullness of the peace, the shalom of Jesus, he uses our stories and our lives to communicate love and hope and truth and well-being to those around us by means of the stories that he's given us. So for our family, that truth that in Christ there are no more labels except for the name of Jesus— we live that out every day because we've walked a certain amount of a story that involves ethnic issues, that involves racial division. And we walk that out by the very means of the way that we look in a Thanksgiving picture, that there are no divisions in Christ. The kingdom of God is beautiful and rich and filled with life because of the diversity of his creation. Black, white, male, female, a whole list, just like Jackson has become a forever member of our family, regardless of his past or his ethnicity, we too become forever members of God's great family through Christ. And our role as Christ followers is to take our unique stories and use them to show God's flourishing in and through us so that we can show others that same peace. Here's the thing. When you have a heart that is 100% thankful, 
full of God's flourishing and well-being and peace. There's just no room for racism, for elitism. There's no room for offense. There's no room for my preferences or my opinions of others because God's love and peace are that good and that overwhelming that they take up all the space. So with that in mind, let's read this next section. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Sounds like the fruit of the Spirit again. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Jesus said he who is forgiven much loves much. And this is what gets us back to verse 15 where we're allowed to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. When we understand that we're part of God's great family, when, we're, when we understand that there are no more labels, no more divisions, no more dividers between us, but we're all part of God's great family, then we can let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. But again, where does that come from? Well, I believe that peace comes from sensing God's presence, his pleasure, and his purpose. God's peace comes from sensing his presence, his pleasure, and his purpose. His presence. We understand God's presence because we were, though we were separated by our sin, because of Jesus' atoning, forgiving work, we can now be made near. We can draw near to him as he draws near to us, Jeremiah says. We sense his pleasure as we learn that God is not angry, but takes great joy in us. If you haven't heard anything else today, I want you to hear this. I don't care about your past. I don't care about what you've been through. I don't care what you're dealing with in your story right now. I don't care what you're worried about or anxious about. God is not angry with you. God takes great joy and great pleasure in you because you're his child and you're his creation and he loves you. And that's how we begin to sense his pleasure with us. And then we're able to sense his purpose as we become agents of reconciliation, redemption, and his perfect peace. As we take that presence, as we take that pleasure and understand that that's meant for us, but also meant to be expressed through us, then we begin to understand that we are agents of reconciliation, redemption, and his peace. Eugene Peterson recently passed away. Eugene was the, the author of the Message Translation and dozens of other books. And in, in his funeral, his son Leif eulogized him in this way. He said that his dad really only had one sermon. That for his 29 years of pastoral messages and for all of the books that he had written, he really only had one message. It was a secret that Leif said that his dad had let him in on early in life. The kind of thing that he would whisper in his heart, that he, that he would sneak into his room while his child was sleeping and whisper over him as he slept. It's this. God loves you. God is on your side. He's coming after you. He is relentless. Close your eyes for just a second and listen to those words. God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you. And he is relentless. You can look up. When we get that, 
when we get the truth that God is actually on our side, that he's relentlessly pursuing us with his love and his peace, what more can we do than be surrendering and thankful? This is what it means to be living in peace, to be simultaneously aware of our lack and his provision, our sin and his redemption, our sickness and his healing, our messiness and his shalom, his peace, his completeness, his flourishing, his fullness. This is what we are all called to do, to experience God's peace and fullness, to be safe in mind, body, and estate, to have completeness, fullness, and a type of wholeness that encourages us to give back, to generously repay something in some way. It pushes us to be extremely thankful. You guys, when we gather to worship, you've seen me sing and play and bounce around the stage like a crazy person. I get it. I'm weird. All right? But let me tell you something. I don't do those things. We don't do those things together because we think they're cool or because it's some rote activity. We do that because we're thankful. We're thankful for God's redeeming grace. We're thankful that he relentlessly pursues us. I'm thankful that for those things, I'm thankful that I have a family that looks like a slice of the kingdom of God. I'm thankful that every time I gather with you in worship, I get to sense and taste just a little bit of his kingdom, a little bit of heaven. I'm thankful. And the natural byproduct, the natural fruit of thankfulness is the kind of flourishing wholeness and peace that only Jesus can provide. And you know what? I want that for you too. You know what else? God wants it even more than I do, even more than you. He wants his peace and his fullness to be expressed in your life more than you do. So how does that happen? How do we live our lives in thankfulness and peace intersecting in fullness? What brings us to our so what? Peace is tied to gratitude, and gratitude is tied to humility. Peace is tied to gratitude, and gratitude is tied to humility. When we are humble enough to finally admit that we actually need totally and truly need Jesus, that we need something and someone beyond our own personal capacity for change, then we become grateful and truly thankful for who he is, and that thankfulness leads to peace. We're going to be taking communion today, and and as we begin this season of Advent in earnest— We're going to be doing so by expressing our own sort of form of an Advent wreath. This block of wood and these candles express our Advent wreath. And each of these candles represents a different truth about who Jesus is. There's there's hope and faith and joy and peace and then the Christ candle. But each of these, as we light each of these over the next several weeks, we're reminded that Jesus is the light of the world. And when we light one of these candles, there's a little bit more of his light. There's the light of his joy. There's the light of his faith. There's the light of his hope. And there's the light of his peace. And when we gather over the next several weeks, we're going to create intentional moments for us to unpack each of those attributes so we more fully understand those and we're able to worship him more fully by understanding him in a deeper way. As we gather on Christmas Eve and we light all of our candles, we do so through the Christ candle. As we 
light our candle, we become little lights of the world as we mimic our Savior. And more of his light, more of his truth, more of his hope, more of his peace, more of his joy, more of him is expressed through being the light of the world. As we, the ushers are going to come in just a moment and the band will come in just a moment as we'll sing and we'll take communion. But as we do so, I want to take care of a couple of things really quick. One, as we, as we take those, when the, the plates pass you by, make sure you grab both cups. There are two cups there. They're double stacked. One has the bread in it and one has the juice. And at Heritage, we practice open communion, which means that if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are invited to participate. If you're not, then we ask that you just let it pass by. But I got to tell you, if you're not, if, if you're sitting here today and you are sensing a little tug on your heart that you want a little bit more of that flourishing, you want a little bit more of that peace and fullness and joy in your life, this would be a great time to take care of that. There are some instructions and a prayer on the back of your note guide that you can take a look at right now and just take care of that business with you and the Lord right now. I can't think of a better way to celebrate Thanksgiving than by being thankful for a renewed and redeemed relationship with Jesus. But as we take communion today, I want us to do so and take a moment as we sing to just ponder and be grateful and thankful for Jesus, for the gift of peace for the gift of the Prince of Peace, whose body was broken for our healing, whose blood was poured out for our forgiveness. We do this in remembrance of him. We do this in remembrance of how great a gift we've been given in this season, that Jesus took the form of a baby, a human child, was humbled, lived a perfect, sinless life, loving, giving, generous life, and then gave it all for us so that we could be restored and have right relationship with the Father. Take a moment to be grateful, to be thankful. The 13th 13th century German theologian, Meister Eckhart, said this, if the only pray, excuse me, if the only prayer you can pray is thank you in your entirety of your life, Just thank you would be enough. Would you pray with me? Living God, we thank you that you are enough, that you are our fullness, you are our peace, you are the gift for which we have no way to repay. So all we can do, all that we have, all that we can offer is our gratefulness. All that we can offer is our lives. And Lord, we say that we belong to you. And we ask, Lord, that as we remember you through receiving communion, as we remember you through being thankful for what you have done in our lives, would you also empower us? Would you empower us to be the agents of peace and reconciliation and redemption and love and hope and truth that you've called us to be? Would you allow us to be your followers in a way that actually affects change, that actually affects our neighbors and our friends and our family and our own lives are different because of the way we intersected with you. Lord, we love you and we thank you for who you are and the opportunity to to participate in worship with you tonight. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.